Let's pray. Father, as we consider the glorious resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, Father, it uh, gladdens our heart as we think of our dear brother Rip as he has gone to, to be with the Lord, as I think of our brother Tom whose uh, stepmom just passed away this week. Lord, we thank You that in Jesus Christ we have a resurrection ahead of us because He has risen from the dead. We ask in His name. Amen. If you have not been to one of our sunrise services, you might guess from John chapter 20 that everything would be about Jesus and His resurrection. Um, that He would take the center stage in the passage that describes His resurrection. And certainly, His resurrection is the central fact of John chapter 20. But as Sylvester just read, and as we'll now see as I um, proclaim this portion of Scripture, we're going to hear a whole lot more about Mary and about Peter and about John in this account of the resurrection than we do of Jesus Christ. It's always surprising to me um, that Mary and Peter and John take the center stage because the whole of the Old Testament let me make sure this one the whole of the Old Testament points to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then the Bible, even though the Bible's been looking forward to it on every page of the Old Testament, and even in the life of Jesus, he talks about it and he prepares his disciples for it. When it's finally described in the Scripture, instead of seeing Jesus walk out of the tomb, we learn that John can outrun Peter. We learn that John hesitated at the entrance of the tomb while Peter rushed right in. We also learn that Mary mistook Jesus for a gardener. In other words, their seemingly trivial actions nearly dominate the whole of John chapter 20 as it teaches us about the resurrection of Jesus. Does that strike you as odd? That here in the, on the most momentous morning of all mornings, we don't see Jesus uh, prominently in the passage but rather, there's this focus on these other people. Why does the Bible do this? I think it's clear that the Bible wants us to see the various responses to His resurrection. It wants us to see how Mary responded to the resurrection so that we also would have a response to the resurrection. It wants us to see John and Peter and their responses to the resurrection in order that we also might respond ourselves. It's not enough for you to come to church and listen to uh, someone read and then someone preach about the resurrection and then go home and watch the Super Bowl and give not another thought to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Scripture 
wants you to respond to the resurrection. So let me ask you this question. Are you prepared this morning to respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or are you just going through the motions? Going here in church, listening to the pastor, or since Rip is not here, I can say, or sleeping through the sermon, um, as he was uh, wont to do from time to time. Uh, so, are you prepared to respond to the resurrection? Are you res- prepared to respond to Jesus Christ? We're going to look at John 20 through the responses of Mary, uh, John, and Peter, and so we're going to start with Mary. There are many Marys in the New Testament. It's easy to get them mixed up. Which one is here in this passage? Well, verse 1 tells us it's Mary Magdalene. This is not the Mary, uh, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not her. It's not Mary, the sister of Martha. She's the Mary whom Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Uh, you find that in Luke chapter 8. She's commonly known to us as Mary Magdalene. In fact, the the Scripture here in verse 1 calls her Mary Magdalene because she was from a town in Galilee called Magdala. She appears to be one of Jesus' closest disciples. She was um, present at the crucifixion. She apparently followed His body to the tomb where He was buried, so she knew where His burial site was. And now here she is at the tomb before sunrise, Preparing, or to, uh, she's she's going to finish preparing his body for burial. When Mary arrived at the tomb, she uh, did not suspect that Jesus would not be there. She was fully expecting that he would be dead, that he would still be in the tomb. When she saw the stone had been rolled away, it did not enter into her mind that he might have been raised from the dead. Even. And this is skipping over John and Peter for the moment. But even when she walked in and began talking with the two angels, she did not pause to consider um, that, that Jesus had Himself taught many times that He would be raised from the dead. In other words, it appears that she left God completely out of her thinking. Uh, she was simply looking at the facts before her The facts were, she saw Jesus dead. She saw the soldier plunge the spear uh, into his side, piercing his heart. She saw the blood and and the water flow. She knew he was dead. She walked into the tomb. He's not there. She very rationally supposes someone has taken his body. And all of us ought to take our stand beside Mary and measure how we respond to God in difficult circumstances. Too often we live by sight rather than by faith. We are often so able to see God at work even or especially in our hardships. We leave God completely out of our thinking. He's our last resort than our first place of refuge. We need an eye of faith that will look above our circumstances and look to God and to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. As I was saying yesterday in the memorial service, when you have a big God, you realize all your problems, all your trials, they shrink.
shrink down and they fit very nicely in His hand. So when you are in the midst of a trial, look first to God. All those circumstances that seem so big because that's all you can see, when you look above your circumstances and realize so much, that God is so much bigger than your circumstances, those circumstances begin to shrink very quickly. So I want to challenge you, when you find yourself in a trial or, or some hardship has uh, arisen in your life, stop and pray. Thank God for His sovereign and unconditional love. Think through what God has done for you. Think through what He's able to do for you. Think through what He has promised to do for you. In other words, approach your trial or your hardship by faith rather than by sight. It will change the whole situation. It will change the whole outcome. Am I being too hard on Mary? Is she only living by sight and has no faith whatsoever? Of course she has faith. I believe she had faith even though she had not considered the possibility that Jesus had risen from the dead. She was overcome with grief because of her faith. She was overcome with grief because she loved Jesus so much. Look at verses 11 through 13. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. In her mind, as I've already said, somebody's stolen the body of the Lord. And so she's weeping bitterly because she doesn't understand why someone would do this. She doesn't understand why God would allow this to happen. And in her distress, she's completely unfazed by the angels. Matthew's account says that the angels, that their appearance was like lightning and that their their clothing was white as snow. And so she comes in here into the tomb and she sees these two remarkable uh, creatures And she's unfazed. She's not afraid simply because she's so sad that her Savior is not there. That's a response of faith. Even though it was still a bit mixed up and jumbled in her mind. Her grief was such that she didn't even recognize Jesus when He appeared to her. Look at verses 14 and 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and I will take Him away. Uh, First of all, a little parenthetical remark. Uh, she thinks he's a gardener because they're in the garden, which is so appropriate because that's where Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were removed from the garden. But here, on this glorious resurrection morning, they're back in a garden. In other words, they are back in the presence of God because Jesus Christ, through His death, 
and through His resurrection has cleared away every obstacle between us and God. And the obstacle that was between us and God was our sin. Jesus took it completely away. Wiped it out. Our sins now are as cast as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. So it's appropriate that they are back in a garden. But Mary here is inconsolable. Uh, She was incapable of recognizing her Savior through her tears. The risen Savior speaking to her, but her distress has completely clouded the fact that it was her Savior who was speaking to her. When God is involved, as He's always involved, no matter what situation you are in, Things are not as they seem to be. We see things with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of sight. We need to look at life through the eyes of faith. But when he called her name, immediately uh, her faith came to the fore. Look at verse sixteen. Jesus said to her, "Mary." She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She thought he was dead, but her response to him was total. She realizes this is her Savior. This is Jesus. All her faith and all her love and all her joy were poured into that one word, Rabboni. Are you familiar with that kind of response to Jesus? In other words, have you had that kind of response to Jesus? Do you know Him personally? Does your relationship with Jesus draw forth from you faith, love, and joy? Is faith, love, and joy your daily experience in your relationship with Jesus? There's a great misunderstanding usually associated with verse 17. I assume Mary fell at his feet, or maybe she even hugged him. I don't know. But many believe that she could not have done so because she wasn't allowed to touch him. Have you ever heard that? I'm sure many of you have. That she wasn't allowed to touch him because he hadn't ascended to the Father. Well, this interpretation comes from a poor translation of the King James Version. The King James Version translates verse 17 as, Do not touch me. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, What He was saying was, don't cling to me, uh, as the ESV translation puts it. Uh, she, She was not to think that He was going to stay here on earth forever. She's so overjoyed. She wants to cling to Him. She thought He was dead and now He is alive. Better than what she could ever have imagined. And He says, don't cling to me because I've got to ascend into heaven. He didn't. She should not think that he was going to stay here on earth forever. He was going to go. John fourteen uh, verses one through six. He was going to go and prepare a place for us. He was going to go. Uh, John fifteen and sixteen, so that his Holy Spirit might take up residence in our souls. He was going to heaven to pl- to blaze a trail for us to follow. Heaven is now wide open because he has gone there. He was going also to intercede for us. And so, 
That's uh, Mary. We'll look quickly at John and Peter. Um, John never gives us his name, but we uh, know that it's John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. John paints an interesting picture of himself in this passage. He doesn't refer to himself in the first person, but rather in the third person. And when we hear people uh, talk of themselves in the third person, you know, in our context, in our culture, usually it's somebody who is so full of themselves that they are talking, you know, about themselves in the third person. But here, John is doing it um, as a um, really uh, humility. So look at verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him. You know, this is kind of interesting. He won't name Himself, but yet He identifies Himself as the one Jesus loved. Doesn't that seem a little contradictory? You know, well, He loved me best, it seems to be saying. Um, Seems to elevate Himself above the other disciples. But what is John telling us about himself when he refers to himself in this manner? He's not elevating himself by referring to himself as the one Jesus loved. Um, It was well known within the circle of disciples that John was his closest friend. In the upper room, as they were celebrating uh, the first communion, or we could say their last meal together um, before his death, it was John who was reclining next to Jesus. Although he initially abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, he returned to witness the trial. And at the crucifixion, he was there caring for Jesus' mother. John was being truthful and humble by concealing his identity. As A.W. Pink points out, Uh, In his commentary on this passage, he says, love never advertises itself. So far from being an arrogant statement, it really serves um, to, uh, to show us his humility. Everybody knew that he was Jesus' closest friend, and yet he does not name himself. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the other disciple, again referring to himself, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. That's a pretty remarkable statement. John is writing here that although he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, it wasn't until he went into the empty tomb that he really, truly believed. He had faith, probably a genuine faith, we would say, but there was still some unbelief there. Mary comes and says that they've taken the Lord away. That's what he's thinking as well. He's uh, looking by sight until he sees the empty tomb. Donald Gray Barnhouse very astutely observed that the angel rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb not to let the living Lord out but to let the unconvinced outsiders in. And that's certainly what happened to John when he went into that that empty tomb. Peter also seems to be uh, 
uh, a bit mixed in his faith. Um, he's running. He's uh, apparently runs slower than uh, than John. He got there second, but being Peter, he doesn't hesitate. In fact, he just runs. John hesitated. Peter ran right past him, right into the tomb. And uh, it doesn't give us his response, although we know what that response is later. But I want to ask you, as we've considered Mary, as we've considered John, where are you in your faith right now? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that that is a fact of history? That that is the central fact of history? Do you believe that Jesus is alive right now? It is in heaven at the Father's right hand. Do you believe that Jesus is the King of heaven and earth? Do you believe that He is your King? Do you believe that He is your risen Savior? Do you love Him? Do you entrust yourself to you? Have you or to Him? Have you entrusted yourself to Him? Do you obey Him? Is He the center of your life? What I'm asking is this. Have you responded to Jesus Christ? Have you responded to His resurrection? Have you given yourself to Him? Or are these things that you just kind of believe on the periphery? Yeah, I believe He rose from the dead, but it doesn't have any effect on my life. That's not a response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people miss Jesus, but they miss Him not because they are atheists, not because they are agnostics. They simply have a mixed faith. They come to church, they believe a lot of the facts, but they haven't truly responded to Him. They haven't truly responded personally to him. In fact, those people will often say they trust in Jesus, but they mix in their own righteousness as well. A little bit of both. Where are you in relation to Jesus Christ? Well, let me ask it this way. Do you repent of your sins because Jesus is your Savior? Or do you allow them to stick around and hang around? Do you allow your sin to continue to be a driving issue in your life without ever repenting? None of us will ever be free from sin. As we were talking to the children earlier, none of us will ever conform to all the requirements of God. We're all going to be sinners. But do you hate your sin? because you have responded to Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. I have one final point to make in conclusion. And that is basically what I've been making the entire sermon. This account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. We live in a world where the second person of the Trinity, God Himself, came into the world as a human being to die for sinful human beings. 
He became sin for us. And then He rose from the dead in glory. Jesus Christ in His resurrection secured our forgiveness of sins. He secured for us our new nature. He secured for us eternal life. He secured for us a relationship with God Almighty. Does that have any bearing and impact on your life? It should have the it should be the overwhelming bearing and most impactful fact in our life. Does your life revolve around the the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does your life revolve around the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ? As we pray together. Father, I pray for those who have never responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that Christ would come and uh, snatch them from themselves and bring them powerfully, yet also sweetly, to Himself. That they truly would respond. Father, I pray for downcast Christians who feel beaten down by their circumstances. Help them to respond to the Lord Jesus this morning and be encouraged that because He has defeated death, that He has defeated all our foes, that He is for us, therefore no one can be against us. Father, for those who are grieving um, the death of a loved one, uh, most of us here this morning are grieving the death of a loved one uh, and grieving uh, Rip's passing. Father, encourage us with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that Rip Darden, the moment he closed his eyes in death, opened them in Your presence. And though he awaits the resurrection of his body, He is with you enjoying things that no ear has heard, no eye has seen, no imagination has even begun to be able to conceive. And so encourage us, Lord, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us to live by faith and not by sight because our Savior is risen from the dead. We pray in His name. Amen.